Welcome to Temperature Check, a podcast about climate, justice, and the people making a difference. I'm Jess Stahl, editor for Creative Storytelling at FIX. And this season of Temperature Check, we're turning over the reins to climate and justice leaders to talk about mentorship. For each episode, we asked one changemaker to tell us who inspires them, who supports them, and then we brought them together. Our friendship has been forged in these fires of mobilization and movement spaces. Your spirit is doing so much. It's trying to protect you. It's trying to guide you to say and do the right things. It's so important to have people to laugh it off, cry it off. There is like a blueprint for how things could be, right? Like that's what our ancestors did. And they dreamed about us being here this conversation is with Jade Begay and Ariel Saequi Durange. Jade is Climate Justice Campaign Director at NDN Collective, an indigenous led organization focusing on justice and equity. She's also one of our 2021 Grist 50 Fixers. And for this conversation, Jade invited Ariel, her friend and mentor, and the Executive Director of Indigenous Climate Action, to talk about their shared mission and how their relationships with each other and other Indigenous activists sustains their work. And now, I'll hand it over to them. Jade is one of the most badass, hardworking, creative individuals that I've met. They're from the south of the medicine line. I'm from north of the medicine line, but we're both Dene people. Um, Ariel is a total badass and the driver or owner of a really cool like wagon it's like a a little cool place to take glamping so yeah ariel's a glamper (laughs) (laughs) i've actually upgraded into a a bigger rv but yeah woo My name is Ariel Tsaekwi Derange. I'm a member of the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation and the Executive Director of Indigenous Climate Action. And I'm based in Amiskwichiwiskaigan, also known as Edmonton, in Treaty 6 territory in so-called Alberta and so-called Canada. Hello, my name is Jade Begay. I am... Danette and Tosuka Pueblo. I'm based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Currently, I'm streaming in from Glasgow, UK, and I'm the Climate Justice Campaign Director at NDN Collective. I know when I first was introduced to your work and became aware of you as a person in this movement, and that was the first ever Bioneers, uh, the conference. Mm -hmm. It was a moment for me where I was like, oh my God, who is this person? That was when I did the keynote in 2015. Yeah. When I attended that, I was just working with a nonprofit communications firm and was just really starting to get into movement work. And of course I felt rallied by your story and your words to join the fight against the tar sands and against pipelines. But I think 
on a more personal or deeper level, it was just really impactful to see a Native Indigenous person take up this space and you really just claiming that space. And I hadn't seen a ton of that. I mean, my mom is a really strong Indigenous woman, kind of a boss in her own right, but definitely someone closer to my age speaking with such gusto and fierceness. It was something I hadn't been exposed to a whole lot. So yeah, it just made me feel like affirmed. I believe at the time you were working as a communications director for your tribe. There was so many things that were clicking in that moment. Like I'm a communications person. You can do storytelling in all of these ways and you can fight for your people and the land and the climate. And it it just started to like make sense. For me, like the pioneers speech was very stressful. Mm. And I've had a few people say that it was a really powerful speech. But for me, it's always so strange because I feel like I go into this meditative space everything just disappears. And I honestly feel like for myself, I have to do this thing where I put my feet on the ground, like my bare feet on the ground when I do those types of speeches to ground myself because I'm not doing that stuff for myself. I'm doing it for the community. It's really nice to hear because I get a lot of accolades from like white hippie (laughs) environmentalists being like, oh my God, that's so powerful. And while that's nice, I actually find it more affirming when other indigenous folks are moved by the things that I say or do, because those are the communities that I'm really trying to speak to, to demonstrate that we are powerful and we are leaders and we don't have to be quiet and we don't have to get out of the way and that it's really our role to be leading this movement for the protection and preservation of this planet and our territories and really exposing how systems of white supremacy have suppressed us for so long. And so it means a lot to know that impacted you and made you feel like you could just do the work that you're doing now. So that's awesome. Yeah. And it's really been full on. The work has not stopped. I think we met at COP right after that Bioneers. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, the COP is the Conference of the Parties. A lot of people know them as the UN climate negotiations. It is within the COP that the Paris Agreement was put together. And then back in 2015, that's when nations joined the Paris Agreement, right? Uh, Paris, I definitely remember you there. I definitely remember you being like a part of the badass comms crew. (laughs) Comms are the communications folks, the people that are building the stories and the narratives for the social media, the video content. And I remember wanting to hang out at the comms house. And I was just like, these guys are so cool. And they're fun. And they're incredibly talented. Yeah, it's definitely not an easy space to organize. It's highly bureaucratic, but we we have to show up because if we're not there, then there's a void of our people being at the table. So we also really fight within the space for access and for equity and reaching those those goals that were set. 
So Ariel, as we know, activism can take a toll, especially when it's about the issues that are really core to your identity. So how does this relationship sustain you? Our relationship, our friendship. I think that friendship is so important and revolutionary, to be honest. Yeah. In this type of work, if you don't have those people that you can, after a a crazy speech where you're in that place, or when you're in these big mobilizations, or when you're in these moments where like you are talking about deep trauma, you're Mm. talking about deep wounds in our communities, you're talking about dismantling systems that have like robbed our communities of so much. And it can be really traumatizing and re-triggering. And it's so important to have folks that you can lean on for that emotional support, but also for that camaraderie. Like we've seen each other in our own communities, but a lot of the times it's been like Paris or California or New York City, Washington, D.C., like all over the world, we've run into each other and done all sorts of incredible things. But it doesn't matter where we are because it's the friendships that sustain those relationships and their medicine. Because without them, then we would just be holding all of that trauma. Laughter is a really, really key part of our culture. Like, I know that even in a lot of our funerals and stuff, people laugh so much. Mm. We laugh through some of the hardest times. And I just enjoy the laughter that I've had with you. Just being able to not take everything so seriously, being able to just be like, oh my God, I just need to go. Like, holy shit, this has been like a shit show all day. Let's just go. (laughs) Because if we don't have that and we're just fighting all the time, that's not good for your spirit either. With you, it's about really building that movement together and lifting each other up as Indigenous women and having fun. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. And when we're lobbying or we're at a protest or even just talking in the same rooms with some of our oppositions, like that can be really tough to Mm -hmm. facing your enemy, um, so to speak. You do have to leave and really call your spirit back in those moments. Your, Your spirit is doing so much. It's trying to protect you. It's trying to guide you to say and do the right things. It's so important to have people to laugh it off, cry it off, uh, whatever needs to happen. Our friendship has been forged in these fires of mobilization and movement spaces. And it's been critical to surviving those spaces. Mm. These similar moments of how we're trying to transform the narratives around how we approach these things and then fighting in these systems and struggles. And then to have someone that's there and is also like literally my kin because we are like related not just through spirit but through like our ancestry we come from the same lineage of people 
it's really, really incredible and powerful to, to have that. But the pandemic, there was like a deep mourning for me in that first year of like missing mm. so many of my friends that I had made in these spaces that were so critical to my mental health and my well-being, mm-hmm. not just in those moments of intensity, but just generally across the board. Yeah. So Jade, despite the fact that you said I'm someone that you think was like your age, I am older than you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just my, it's just my good skin from being cold in the North. (laughs) That's what I always make jokes about. Um, But, you know, I feel like a lot of the time I'm stepping into this role of being like an auntie, as we say in our communities, being an auntie and an uncle, we're stepping into roles of mentorship and helping to guide the next generation. So what does mentorship or being an auntie mean to you? I love how you indigenized this question (laughs) Um, by (laughs) making it a question about how to be a, a good auntie. Yeah. I just reflect on the folks who have been good aunties to me or matriarchs. And there's this thing about belonging or supporting people in feeling like they belong for people in general, but definitely maybe in our communities because we face issues of invisibility or not being recognized as tribes. Oftentimes there's a lot of forces out there that try to like invalidate indigenous peoples. And so I think this, this thing about belonging can be tough. And especially for folks who maybe grew up away from their tribe, yeah. away from their community and not in close proximity, or who had families that were really assimilated, not by choice, of course. I think of my aunties and cousins and mentors and people like yourself, even in like movement spaces who just support you in feeling like you belong. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like one of the most beautiful gifts we can give each other and that we're valid in the places that we want to show up. I feel like that's a really good articulation of uh, indigenizing mentorship. (laughs) I think a lot of like the English language and the way that questions are framed aren't always translatable in our communities. There's just a different mm-hmm. articulation or way of showing up. But I like that because it's less about teaching skills and more around welcoming in. Yeah. And, you know, I think just building on it, and this is something I just have to say, we haven't like established like a, you're my mentor <laughs> and I'm your mentee, but I learned so much from you. I do. And this is also speaking to like the antiness of being a mentor, but giving that tough love and checking people, checking your mentee. Um, I just remember this epic moment. We were in Alberta, Canada in Cold Lake. And yeah, there was this really awesome moment of you just checking some youth who just were not respecting the elders. And (laughs) you did it in this way that just like really called them in. And it, it was about being a good relative and it wasn't about calling them out or making anyone feel guilty or ashamed. Mm -hmm. 
I think everyone there was like shook <laughs> when that <laughs> moment happened because it was like, like it healed a, a gap that was occurring in that group dynamic. And especially in our work, I've seen you do so much holding of space. And I've been a part of those spaces a lot of the time where it, we've had like lots of group challenge and I've seen the way that you've facilitated and have brought people back together. And Mm -hmm. not only do we need that in our relationships as friends, as families, but we need that in our relationships in movements. I I remember that moment at that camp. I feel like that was my official like (laughs) anti-status because some of the youth that I like called in that day, they came up to me and they're just like, oh, you really showed up like a real auntie today. <laughs> oh my God, I'm the auntie now. I like it was a moment of realization. <laughs> well, on this topic, I just have to ask the same question, Ariel. What does mentorship mean to you? Yeah, uh, I think like when we talk about mentorship too, a lot of the times, we think of it as like an older person mentoring someone else and like helping to pave the way or like shine a light on the path or whatever it is, or like support through hard times. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that mentorship, it, it, it's not just older people mentoring younger people, that a lot of the time young people mentor older people. And I've had both young and old mentors, but uh, I do feel like the Tom Goldtooth and the Winona LaDukes and the Andrea Carmens, all of these incredible trailblazing natives that have done such tremendous work for our communities. And they have definitely been mentors in like shining the light, showing the path, demonstrating leadership, all of those things. But I also think that it's important to understand that well, as an auntie, you got to call in the young folks. Sometimes uh, younger people show us different ways to do things. And that's one thing that I've really seen you do is challenge the ways in which things are being done and providing a lens to see it done differently. But you also do it in a way that respects and honors the work that has been done already. And you have to be willing as an older person as well to like have humility, to know that just because you're an auntie doesn't mean you have all the answers. It means that you're there to support and to help guide and that we are still constantly learning. I remember once my mom, we went to go see this medicine woman and some people were asking her questions. I don't remember what the questions were. I was quite little, but this old lady that we had gone to see to get medicine, spiritual guidance from. And someone asked her like a question that wanted a specific answer. And she just said, I'm an old lady and I still know nothing. I've lived all these years and I've learned so much. But when we think about everything, I still know so little. And unless we're willing to be humble and to accept and honor all of the different parts of the world and the things and the places that we experience and the words that we hear, we will not actually grow. And we can continue to grow until the very day that we die. Mm. And I really honestly think that mentorship needs to come from both sides. 
we're going to need so much humility as we face the climate crisis. I see a lot of our people just fracturing, a lot of division, a lot of critique without solutions. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like, yeah, we're going to have to build our muscles around holding many truths to get to, you know, the shared vision of being okay in the future. There needs to be a biodiversity of pathways to navigate the future. And that's a good thing. I think it's really important. Maybe this is what I want people to know is that like, we always talk about, oh, we got to save the biodiversity of the planet as if it's something outside of us as people. And that we also need biodiversity in humanity. Um, I, that's what I think is so beautiful about the Indigenous peoples of the Americas and all over the world, is that we're not homogenous. There's no pan-indigeneity that exists. We exist in a, a multiplicity of cultures, uh, languages, relationships with the living ecosystems, um, origin stories, like all of this. And we all had a different way of doing things. And I think as we look to find pathways for the future, we have to honor that biodiversity that exists within humanity. Pre-colonization, Indigenous peoples were so diverse and so rich, and colonization has tried to, like, put us all together and homogenize us as one peoples, but we're so diverse. And as future generations are looking towards their path, having that humility to, A, you don't know everything, but you have a lot to offer. And B, that you can be a part of this biodiverse web of solutions where your solutions might work for where you are, for your community, and no one can take that away from you. If that's what works, that's what works. And we have to honor the sovereignty, the self-determination, and the autonomy of our communities and respect those diversity of tactics. We have to be willing to learn we have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to step up when we need to and step back when we need to. Um, and I think one of the last things is that for future generations, that I, I heard this from an elder, like a very prolific elder from my community, who said that he learned this from an elder when he was little. He said, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, <laughs> so we can listen twice as much as we speak. And I think that that is really important. Because if all you're doing is taking up the airspace and you're not listening, you're not going to learn. So having that humility to have open ears and an open heart and an open spirit is going to be really, really important. And having those deep, radical friendships with amazing people that can have your back, that can laugh with you, that can have fun, but that can throw down, I think that's so critical. Well, Ariel, I really appreciate you mentioning that elder and those instructions. Those are worth repeating. Thank you so much for taking this time. This was lovely to take a break from the busyness of it all and just gab about being old pals. 
Thank you for being in my community with me. And thank you for having this chat with me. Messy. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Jade Begay and Ariel Saekwi Durange for sharing your time with us. This episode is one of six conversations we'll be sharing this month as a part of our mentorship issue, which is more than just a podcast season, by the way. You can read more about mentorship at grist.org fix, where we are exploring the power of mentorship in climate work and how mentorship must change to make the space more inclusive and accessible. That's at grist, G-R-I-S-T dot org slash fix. Temperature Check is a podcast from Fix, Grist Solutions Lab, produced in association with Reasonable Volume. I'm Jess Stahl, Fix's editor for creative storytelling. Fix's Claire Thompson, Camille Williams, and Josh Kimmelman all contributed to this podcast, with additional contributions from Fix managing editor Jamie Berger and designer Mia Torres. This podcast is produced by Audrey No, with associate producer Dominique French and editing by Elise Hugh and Rachel Swaby. Sound engineering is by Mark Bush. If you'd like to support what we do, you can rate, review, and tell all your friends to follow Temperature Check. You can listen to all of our other conversations on mentorship right now in this podcast feed. See you there. See you there.